Welcome to Launch Your Wealth. Jonah Lemons here, your podcast host, real estate entrepreneur, and a mom of six talented kids. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have made it across the globe from Canada, USA, Australia, Germany, Norway, Singapore, Philippines, just to name a few. If you would like to connect with me, I am on LinkedIn and Instagram. I surely welcome you to share your comments, subscribe, and share. My mission is to help launch 100 self-made success stories in 2021. And you can visit my new website, launcherwealth.com. I am so inspired by you to empower you about the world of entrepreneurship, business, real estate, and beyond. As always, it is my pleasure to be here and to be able to open conversations on mindset, or in my version, I call it mindfulness, from life strategies, professional growth, business, real estate, and more. As I have shared this open conversation with my featured guests, today we will talk with Brian Briscoe. He is currently at the Pentagon and preparing for his retirement. He is one of the co-founders of Four Oaks Capital in the multifamily real estate business. He is a father of five, a cool dad for that matter, because he believes in teaching his kids and perhaps opening the opportunity for them to join him in his real estate business. I'm so excited to have him as we dive into how he got started in his early education to a military career and now in the real estate business industry. Also to highlight the importance of growing our mindfulness, our life skills, and having a mentor along the way. So let's get started on this open conversation. Welcome to Launch Your Wealth. Brian Briscoe is here in the house. I am so excited. He's actually representing Four Oaks Capital. And what really excited me somehow is when I tuned in in one of your interviews and it was completely by, you know, surprise that I didn't know um, somehow that you were in the military until I even saw one of your posts, you know, planning to retire. And that really fascinated me because I do have family that served in the Navy. And so I can, you know, definitely relate because I saw my aunt and uncle, you know, go through that phase in their life where they raised children, you know, dealing with deployment and then now retiring and going to this civilian lifestyle. However, I know that you're in a unique scenario as well because you are a real estate investor real estate entrepreneur, and you founded Four Oaks Capital along with your other partners. So on behalf of them, I, I, I welcome all of you and, uh, and I'm so glad you're here. So share with us who Brian is. Yeah, so you know, I think um, your military's played a big role in, in my life, you know, so kind of give you a little, little peek into to who, who I am. Um, I grew up uh, just north of Salt Lake City, Utah, um, served a mission for my church for two years in Chile, South America. And I remember that that was, you know, I bring that up because that was one of those moments that was, you know, kind of defined who I was. You know, I, I took a lot of things for granted growing up. You know, I didn't worry. I didn't care about school. I didn't care about grades, you know, and um, it, it, it was typical teenager, you know, and I went down to South America, spent two years there, and I realized how many opportunities we have just for living in you know, the United States, you know, so um, 
I, I vowed when I came back, you know, tw as a 21 year old that I wasn't going to take my opportunities for granted, you know, so um, decided to go to college, um, got a couple degrees, I wanted to be a math professor, you know, so a couple things I've, I've always been really good at math. Um, I started to like it, you know, about my senior year in high school into college didn't like it up until then. Uh, and you know, I decided that I, I wanted to teach. I really enjoyed teaching people, um, sharing with, with people what I know. So that was a big part of me. So I, I went to school and I wanted to be a teacher, um, but I didn't feel I had the patience to handle, you know, high school kids just because I knew how I was in high school. So I decided, okay, I want to be a teacher at the college level. And what that requires is a PhD. So, you know, started, started going through classes and, you know, tried to get the best grades I could to be able to get into the best school possible, which would give me the most opportunities uh, as far as jobs go. Um, but something else, you know, I didn't want to paint myself in a corner, so to speak. I didn't want to limit myself. And I started thinking, you know, if, if I get a PhD and I start teaching in college, I don't want to be limited to just that profession. I want to, I want to be a little more marketable. So, you know, a couple of things went on, you know, I decided to, to focus my, my math studies on areas that were, um, that were very valuable to industry, you know, places like, you know, Boeing that makes airplanes uses, they use a lot of mathematicians, high tech math. Um, but also I started looking at in the, in the military reserves, you know, so I, I decided to, you know, enlist in the Marine Corps reserves, you know, just because I wanted to be more well-rounded person. And I wanted to have more opportunities than just be a college professor. So I think even from a young age, I didn't want to be confined to just one thing, you know? Um, and I set my studies up around it. I set the, the Marine Reserves around that so that I, I didn't have to be just Brian, the college professor. I could be Brian, whoever I wanted to be. Um, so lo and behold, I, I start graduate school in Minnesota and a month after the first month I'm in graduate school, World Trade Center goes down. I'm already a Marine reservist and I decide I want to go in the Marine Corps. You know, I want to go active duty. I was already in the Marine Corps, wanted to go active duty. And so I did that. And originally it was a three and a half year, year commitment. Um, so I decided three and a half years is good. But, you know, what happened is, um, and, and this, this is, this tells you where my mindset was, you know, I, I, my mind, mindset's gone a long, you know, progressed a long way since, you know, 2005, 2006 timeframe um, when I'm, I'm talking about, but I was, I was stationed in Japan and I remember I had two kids, you know, married with two kids. And I remember thinking, okay, I can get out of the military in, you know, a year, but then what, you know, uh, I could go back to school but the problem was I was used to getting a big paycheck and I'd have to go back to being broke with, with a bunch of kids. Um, and I was scared. What was the answer? You know, I, I had a good job and I knew the Marine Corps would let me keep working for them. You know, so um, I think if I were stationed in California, it would have been a different story, but I was on the other side of the world trying to get a job, you know, somewhere in the U S and this is, this is when like monster.com was like brand new, you know, this, this didn't have any of the job seeking tools you have now. LinkedIn wasn't even a, a thing. Facebook wasn't even a thing, you know? So um, I was scared, you know, I, I saw the paycheck and I didn't want, 
I didn't have enough faith to take that big leap into entrepreneurs, uh, the entrepreneurial world like I wanted to. But uh, I remember saying, okay, if I can get this one specific job in the Marine Corps, I will stay in. And lo and behold, I got that one job, you know, so you know, call it fate or destiny or, you know, divine providence or whatever. I got the one job and it was working at a college campus. It was teaching. It's exactly what I wanted to do was, was to teach. Um, instead of math, it was uh, military science, you know, so um, did that for three years. And once again, I got to the point to where, you know, it's, it's time, you know, I think, Hey, I'm, I'm wanting to get out right now, but we're in the middle of the great recession, you know? So this is 2009 when I had my next opportunity to get out, you know, and once again, I'm thinking, wow, the economy really sucks right now. You know, a lot of people were losing their jobs. You know, my, my brother had just gotten laid off and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, geez, it's just really bad time to take a leap of faith right now. Um, and the other big thing that happened is, you know, I had been in the military for seven years at that point. And I had not deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan. And part of me thought I came active duty because the nation's at war and I haven't deployed. So I felt that I wasn't going to forgive myself later on if I did seven years in the Marine Corps without deploying. So anyway, long story short, I just kept on that. There was always something that kept me from, from getting out, you know, and a lot of it was just fear of the unknown. It was fear of, you know, hey, if I get out from Japan, can I make it on my own? You know, or, you know, I'm, I'm sitting at, you know, San Diego State University with a really nice job, really nice income, the economy sucks, you know, the Marine Corps is still hiring, and they're going to keep me. So all I've got to do is say yes, and I'll keep on getting a paycheck, you know, so that that's really what what kept me in earlier. Um, Where now, was your wife at that time with your two kids? Oh, uh, so we for, we were fortunate to be able to yeah live we were, we were together the whole time so you know when i was in okinawa japan we we had a, a an apartment building in okinawa and or we had an apartment uh, unit in okinawa i wish i had the whole building but uh different story right. um you know and so she yeah we lived together in japan we lived together in san diego and uh you know every once in a while i had to pick up and leave for two three four months at a time but uh um so yeah she was with me the whole time but it was in San Diego that we started buying properties, you know, so, you know, bought a place in my, my hometown, you know, and made it turn it into a rental. Um, we bought the house that we lived in in San Diego post crash, turned that into a rental. Um, so the, the whole time I was thinking, you know, I need more, you know, I, I need something that's going to grow my wealth. I need something besides just this paycheck, you know, because, you know, once again, I'm a math guy, you know, I, I can do numbers and I can realize that, you know, it's going to take me an awful long time off of, you know, an in single income to get wealthy if I don't do something additional. So um, I even took an extra job. You know, I started teaching at uh, community college, teaching math at a community college, you know, and that was bringing an extra income in and we would invest that income. So I was doing everything I could just to create multiple streams of income, you know, because you know, what I, what I've seen is I was so reliant on that one stream of income. And I knew that if I didn't have safer options, I would have, I would stick with the safe thing. You know, I would stick with being in the Marine Corps forever um, until they kicked me out basically. So yeah, I started purchasing single family homes and, you know, that was my strategy for 
for long-term wealth. You know, every time we moved, you know, it, it's an opportunity to buy a new property and you get owner occupant loans. So you get better, better terms, better, better interest rates. Um, you know, so anyway, started doing that, picked up a couple of single family homes and then right about, you know, somewhere 2016, 2017, um, started seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's kind of where I realized that the single family portfolio was growing too slowly to make a big dent into anything. Um, and with that light in the end of the tunnel getting bigger and bigger and realizing, oh my goodness, you know, three years from now, I'll be at my 20 year mark or four years from now, I'll be at my 20 year mark. Um, I started just going through the process of learning more about real estate. You know, I devoured podcasts, you know, read books, you know, did everything I could to, to learn more. And I finally landed on multifamily. So I put a lot of money into education. You know, I bought some online courses. I bought, uh, bought into to a paid coaching program, you know, did everything I could to make sure that I was prepared. And, you know, end of the day, we ended up forming Four Oaks Capital. And, uh, you know, right now we, we've got 250 units under our belt with another, you know, property under contract. So, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of an overview and I'll, I'll let you, you know, pick and choose well, where to dive in from there. I mean, you know, I appreciate going, you know, the longer version, but, uh, but I, I, you know, hearing everything you said is you pretty much launched in 2009 during mm -hmm. this financial crisis that we went through. I was there, picked up yeah. the pieces. I had a lot of losses, you know, so, but it didn't deter me from continuing the entrepreneurial path. Yeah. And then you know, you realize, wait, this is common sense. You know, you're not going to do single family residence, you know, type portfolio because it's going to be a little too slow. And then that's yeah. when you started diving into, I mean, when you took these coaching programs and educated yourself, do you feel, do you feel that mindset was really the key to even leaping to, to launching into this entrepreneur, entrepreneurial yeah. path? even if you already had a mathematical background or teaching background and you enjoyed all of those things, like, because I was watching, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Jay Shetty. He lived like a monk for like three mm -hmm. years and he's like super successful. Now he motivates and he coaches, you know, a lot of people with their mindset. And he, he posted this thing um, that had to do with what kind of music and environment you put yourself in and how our brains react. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hearing your story, it's like you were in that environment and you're like, well, I'm starting to recognize, you know, all of these things are happening around me. I mean, do you think that you have to constantly really groom that mindset of yours, even at this point that you feel like what, you know, I'm, I'm in multifamily now, I'm running my real estate business. Um, do you feel it should ever stop or it should continue? I, I think you, you should constantly be trying to expand your mind. I mean, you know, one, one example, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad for the first time in 2005, you know, and I'm rereading it right now. And it's a completely different book. But in 2005, you know, um, I read it and he talks a lot about investing in apartments, investing in real estate. And I remember thinking, hmm, apartments sound way too complicated. I don't think I can do that. And I didn't even try. It was just one of those things where I had the, you know, my mindset was closed, um, closed enough or not open wide enough to even accept that as a possibility, you know? And so it took me, you know, several years of, you know, trying to, to run a single family portfolio and grow a single por family portfolio to realize that, you know what, I could probably do multifamily with, without too big of a problem. And I just realized I had to start learning, you know, 
And, and the same thing with mindset. I mean, it was my, my mindset and my fear that kept me from, kept me in the Marine Corps, essentially, you know, it was the, the, the fear of, of the unknown, the fear of not having a salary. And I think that keeps a lot of people from following an entrepreneurial path. And, and quite frankly, it also keeps a lot of people poor because, you know, you'd rather have that, you know, that job that gives you a constant paycheck than going for something bigger and better, you know? So, you know, and, and I'll be honest, part of, part of why I'm able to do this right now is because I know that I'll have a pension a year from now, you know? Um, and that, that really kind of softened the blow for me because, you know, I realized, okay, you know, I've got three more years in the Marine Corps. And so three years ago, when I really started ramping up the business, I still had a fallback plan, you know, it was like, okay, if this doesn't work, I can stay in the Marine Corps. Um, or I can get out and I'll have a pension, you know, which is, is going to pay basic living expenses. But I mean, the, the mindset is what at first kept me from doing more and is now what is allowing me to do much, much more, you know, allowing me to, to be able to get into bigger and bigger deals because my, my mindset's changed to the point to where, you know, I understand that I can do bigger things and I just need to find the right people, the right mentors. And basically the sky's the limit as long as, you know, I can, I can learn, grow, expand my mindset and have the right people there to help me. So really mindset can be a part of that fear and the fear mm -hmm. can either push you forward or it can hold you back. And, you know, not everybody may have this, you know, set up in their lives where they have a fallback mm -hmm. or they wait too long until they don't have a fallback. And so now it's less leverage for them to become this entrepreneur or start their business or go into real estate investing as, you know, we are sort of highlighting that uh, in, in this open conversation. Yeah. And, and you're right, you know, it's definitely a molding and nurturing the mindset. So having mentors, being around the right people, I feel you know, you're speaking that language for me. I think it's so important because mm -hmm. we're, we're in this time where it's tough right now. You know, 5 million plus, you know, jobs are, are you know, affected. Small business owners are affected. Mm -hmm. uh, that really hit me, you know, seeing that uh, 2 million plus, you know, people are, are going through difficult times with their own, you know, mortgages and, and being evicted. Uh, I mean, with all of this stuff happening around us, it could feel gloom. And the fear sets in. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just want to share with the audience that, you know, whether you have a fallback plan or not, hearing a story like yours, Brian, I think is, is quite inspiring because you could have been comfortable. You could have mm -hmm. been like, hey, I'm set. I'm good. You know, happily married, raising children. You know, I've got this, you know, cool job. I could teach as well. And then you look at now, we're in this, you know, 2020 COVID pandemic. And we're all panicking somehow. I mean, yeah. when I say we in general, because yeah, I, I have I agree. that, yeah. you know, I'd like to have that empathy for those that maybe are not understanding what we're talking about, but maybe it should spark them. And like you said, rereading Robert Kiyosaki's books is a total different perspective when you're at this point now, because I remember coming across that 2009, 10, mm -hmm. you know, had a different perspective. And then now I'm still referencing the book. Yeah. You know, and it's an amazing to see that, that, that path. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, what's your take on that? You know, something that's been, been 
forefront of my mind is, is just the idea of security. You know, a, a lot of people think a government job is secure. And for me, it, it has been, but it's not like that for everybody. Um, I mean, from 2003 to about 2012, the military was getting bigger. They were, you know, basically that the retention rates were as high. Basically, if you wanted to stay in, you could stay in um, unless you like committed crimes, you know, uh, but but literally, you know, as long as you weren't a criminal and you wanted to stay in, you could stay in. But around 2011, 2012, you know, the, the pendulum started shifting the other direction. You know, the, the president came out and said, okay, we're, we're, we're withdrawing troops from Iraq, we're withdrawing troops from Afghanistan. And there was the, the year group right behind me, basically a lot of those guys got pink slips, you know, and it was, it was almost a 50% um, cut rate, you know, so it was basically, you know, if they, they put the bar, they, they put the bar at like half, half you guys. So you look left, you look right. You know, there's a good chance that, uh, one or two of the three of you is, is going to be shown the door. So, I mean, even, even this idea of security, having a secure job, isn't that secure. Um, my dad in 2009 lost his job. I mean, he worked for the post office He'd worked there for 30 years, was expecting a pension and got fired. So it's just one of those things where, you know, right now when I'm looking at Kiyosaki's book, it's the, the idea of security is much different to me now than it is in 2005. So in 2005, I thought my job would be plenty of security. And now I'm looking at that and just looking at all the examples. We're in a downturn. People are losing jobs left and right. And now to me, security is you know, how many streams of passive income can I set up for myself and for my family? You know, that way I'm not reliant on a job and I don't have to, um, I don't have to worry about what my employer is going to do with me, what his plans are for me. That's tough. That's tough with, you know, the mindset that, you know, everyone is so conditioned to believe, you know, we go to school, you know, we learn a certain way we go to the real world, whether you go to college or the military, or you decide, hey, I'm, I'm just going to live with my parents and kind of, you know, go along and take my master's and, you know, kind of keep myself at school for as long as possible. You know, I mean, that could have been that in the 80s and 90s. And then we hit the 2000s and now we're in 2020. So you see this massive shift and change in the mindset, how the younger generation is you know, handling it. And I, and I do understand that, you know, there's also a difference in mentalities as well because mm -hmm. of that environment. Um, and, and, and I know from my time of growing up, we had to learn how to be resilient. Yeah. And, you know, we were kind of like the, the latchkey kids, you know, parents weren't home, they were working, mm -hmm. you know, so you had to walk home from school, do your homework, learn to cook, learn to, to do laundry. I mean, you were pretty much quite independent, you know, at age 12, 13. And, and now I see my own kids and I'm going, what do I need to do to instill that so that they can thrive or not, not even the word thrive, but survive so that yeah. when they, they go to college or at least, you know, whatever they decided to, to do, they have the life skills. And I think mindset mm -hmm. and learning the life skills and then now seeing what we're going through as, as a world, yeah. you know, specifically North America, I mean, that mindset like you're talking about is, it's, it's interesting because job security is like our comfort blanket. Mm -hmm. Like we think there's a job, you know, they, yeah. we think that that job is all we need and nothing else. Everything else is a risk. What's your 
personal opinion mm-hmm. or advice on taking a risk, whether it's in real estate, whether it's in business venturing with other partners, which you have experience because you have, mm-hmm. you know, what you're doing that takes partnerships. Yeah. But, you know, what's your personal take on that? Like taking risk. How do you assess that? How do you align with that? You know, I, I think risks are, are essential, you know, and I, I think when I was younger, um, I was a lot more risk averse when I was younger, to be honest with you, you know, and it was, it was really a, a once again, it's a, it's a mindset thing. I, I kind of had a scarcity mindset. You know, I, I grew up in a house where, you know, my, my dad didn't, he made enough money to pay the bills. He made enough money to put food on the table, but uh, um, think budget was always tight. Things were always tight. So I grew up with the idea that I needed to, um, that things would always be tight, you know, so I didn't want to lose what I had. So I had that scarcity mindset, but um, I wish I was able to take risks earlier. You know, you, you, you don't get to be wealthy. You don't get to be financially independent or secure without taking those risks, you know, and they have to be educated risks, you know, and speaking of, I think the, the Marine Corps does a very good job at helping uh, people understand risk versus reward, you know, because the, the stakes are a little bit higher. You know, when we're talking about operations, when we're talking about, you know, what we do, the, the stakes are life and death, you know, and, um, you know, every, every couple of months, you'll see something in the news saying, you know, eight Marines lost their life in Southern California in a training accident or, or something like that. So we, we have a, a very, I'm not going to say risk averse, but we, we look at risk differently. Um, everything we do in the Marine Corps is risky. And so we look at risk versus reward. You know, we look at how do we mitigate the risk? How do we make the risk smaller, you know, and still be able to get that reward we're looking for? And I think that translates very well to, to life and to finances. You know, there are some things that are risky. I mean, if, if you don't know what you're doing and you're investing in real estate or the stock market, that is risky. All right. So how do you mitigate that risk? Well, you get yourself educated, you know, I mean, Warren Buffett, it has made billions of dollars in the stock market because he got himself to be a very, he's extremely educated on how businesses work, you know, same with Robert Kiyosaki. And so things that would be risky for you or, or me, for them, it's not risky at all because they understand the market better. So I, I would say, become educated in whatever you're trying to do. You know, if you want to be a, if you want to be in the stock market, there's, there's a fortune to be made in the stock market, but you need to understand the stock market and you need to understand the risks and you understand how to mitigate the risks and how to make your money work for you. You know, same thing in real estate. Um, Same thing in basically any industry that, that you can make money in is, you know, you have to take risks, but you can do a whole lot to mitigate those risks by educating yourself. I mean, you know, when we're talking about risk and you going into the multifamily syndication, let's take this to, to this topic. I, I'm interested to learn, how did you structure this business partnership and going into this venture? Because I'm sure that wasn't easy. I'm going through that right now. So I can, I can definitely uh, understand why a lot of people, when they look, look at it from afar, they're like, oh my gosh, that sounds so scary. That's you know, too complicated. I don't know if I can handle that. So they start to kind of get negative, right? Yeah. So when they're, when they're, like you say, if they're not educated or they're not in that environment, 
and they start hearing you talk about, hey, you know, multifamily syndication, what is that? Oh yeah. my gosh, that's going to be a lot of money. Wait, you, you know, you might lose money right now. It's pandemic. So all of those things, you know, you kind of hear that here and there, mm-hmm. um, especially people you know. Yeah. Isn't that surprising? Like usually family first, you know, like I know my mom would flip if she knew what I was up to, you know, yeah. because she's so conservative, right? Um, take us through like, how did you develop the the partnership that you have now what was your actual business structure like and what are the lessons that new people new investors going into the real estate entrepreneurship and finding those partnerships and putting it together so take us through that yeah so i I think once I think anybody individually can manage a single family home or a small single family portfolio. But once you get into the the larger deals, and I don't know where the threshold is, you know, probably somewhere around 20 units or, or so, um, I think you really need to have a team around you, you know, and I was in a coaching program, you know, had a really good mentor. And that's something that they taught from the very beginning is you, you need to have partners, you need to have other people, you know, helping you to to get this done. And so I was, I was looking for partners, you know, I was, I say this, that there were three things that I was always looking for. I was always looking for a, a good deal to invest in. I was looking for people who wanted to invest with me and I was looking to build my team. You know, those were the three things that I was constantly looking for. Um, and through, through uh, one of the, the networks that I was involved in, I met uh, a guy named Eric and I met him because, you know, in his profile, he said, you know, he said he was born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina, and he was living in Wilmington. Well, my wife was born and raised in Columbia, South Carolina, and I was stationed about 30 minutes north of where he currently lives um, in, in the Marine Corps. So I reached out to him. You know, I'm like, hey, man, we, we got a little bit in common. Um, I knew he was looking for, for apartments in the Carolinas. I was looking for apartments in the Carolinas, and we just started talking, you know, so just getting to, to know each other, talking about cities, talking about markets and things like that. And, you know, over the course of, of a couple of months, you know, we would talk to each other every once in a while, but we realized at one point that we were talking with the same brokers and that we were analyzing the same deals, you know, and it just dawned on us um, that if we are talking to the same brokers, analyzing the same deals, we are going to be competing against each other. Right. And so Eric just suggested, Hey, let's, let's not compete. You know, so what, what we, the, the first, the first decision we made together was we basically said, what is your criteria? What, what type of things are you looking for? You know? And I said, Hey, this is what I'm looking for. He's like, well, here's what I'm looking for. And there was, an, there was a very large overlap. And so we basically agreed that anything that fits inside this overlap, we will, cooperate on, we will not compete, you know? So that was the first deal, you know, or the, the first agreement we had. Um, and so that, that's, that's how we started operating, you know? So anytime I found a new apartment from a broker, I'd pick up the phone and call Eric. Hey, have you seen this one yet? You know, and, and we'd talk about it and we would put, you know, if we, we, we would analyze it and if it made sense, we'd put an offer in. Um, you know, that went on for a while. And incidentally, um, Eric had already partnered with a guy named Brian. So me agreeing to partner with Eric, you know, basically made it a threesome. Um, so how long was the, was the back and forth communication? A couple, a couple of months until we got the first deal under, under contract. Um, 
But yeah, we, we made several offers prior to that. So I, I would say probably four months maybe um, before we got the first deal under contract. It may have been longer. Um, so you both knew that you wanted to sponsor a yeah. deal, manage mm -hmm. it, be the operator. Yeah. And then did you guys figure you're going to take down a deal first before you think about your structure as far as partnership and... You know, that's, that's what we did. We, we said, and, and once we had that first deal under contract, all of a sudden the structure became important. You know, when, when you're just talking about things, you know, how you structure things, you know, is not that important. It's just kind of, but, uh, it can change. It can yeah. Change. You know, it's, it was, it was very fluid and it was just one of those things that we agreed to, to figure out later. But once we got that first deal under contract, you know, we, we talked to a bunch of people who have sponsored deals and how they, you know, break up their, um, their sponsorship or the, the general partnership. And we kind of used what other people do as a template. And we basically sat down, it was probably an hour conversation on the phone, you know, breaking it down by who's doing what inside the deal and what percentage of GP ownership that would bring to the table. So we, we had that conversation. Um, and because I found that the one we got under contract, I found it, I did the negotiations on it. You know, I was the lead sponsor, so I came out with, you know, slightly more than, um, you know, a 25%. So at this time, we brought in one more person, you know, Todd Butler, but uh, we, we realized we needed somebody else, but we brought, brought in one more person into the, the partnership. And at this time, I, I had like a 35%, you know, GP ownership in this thing, but uh, um, started working together and everything else. And uh you know, fast forward a couple months later, we, we like each other and we decided to, to form Four Oaks Capital. You know, so when we did form Four Oaks Capital, we looked at each other as equals and we just said, okay, we're all going to get a 25% share. And then, you know, my partners assured me, he's like, hey, this, the deal we have under contract, you know, what we agreed on is still, still valid. That doesn't change anything. We're, but 25% on everything from here on out. And everybody agreed with that. Um, a couple months later, you know, I, or a couple of weeks later, you know, I went back to them. I just said, Hey, let's, let's just make everything 25%. So we don't have to keep things equal or we don't have to worry about, you know, which one's higher. Yeah. It, I mean, and it wasn't that big of a deal um, to me, but uh, you know, I, I gave up a couple percentage points on one deal, but um, I think it was a gesture of good faith on my part. And it was also, uh, it made, it made the, the accounting a lot easier too. So um so yeah, that, that's how we split it up. And then anything that, uh, that Four Oaks is involved with right now, uh, we have a, you know, tw a 25% split across the board. So Four Oaks, you have three, there's three of you in the partnership. Four of us. Four, four of us. Yeah. That's what I had, I had thought because yep. you mentioned um, four, mm -hmm. but you were talking about three. So I'm just trying to, so did yeah. that, it didn't happen all at the same time. You were kind of like, yeah. You know, so, so yeah. So at, so when I, when I talked to Eric, Eric had already partnered with Brian. Okay. So when I partnered with Eric, Brian comes along. So there's, there's three of us. Once we got the first deal under contract, we, we took an assessment and we said, what do we need to do to get this deal across the finish line? And we realized that we were, we were short in a couple of areas. And so we looked for somebody who can fill that gap and we brought uh, Todd Butler in. And so that that's the four that are in there. So um, yeah. Me, Brian Mellon, Eric Shirley, Todd Butler. That's that's Four Oaks Capital. So then when you took you took down the first deal, let's talk about how did you now fund it? Is it did you, you know, mortgage it, debt service with equity? That's when you started bringing your your 
syndication, yep. uh, you know, to action per se. Yes. So, so yeah, debt, just debt and equity is, um, is what we have, you know, nothing, nothing super fancy about the, the most vanilla syndication you can get. Um, so we, we ended up getting about 68% loan to value. Um, and just, just, because of timing, you know, it was only 68%, um, but 68% loan to value. And then we raised the rest of the money in private capital. And, and of course, you know, we, we invested our own money into the deal as well. So um, we raised about $2 million for that. And you know, we had just under $3 million loan for it. So all in, we were right at $5 million, $4 million purchase price, plus our renovation budget, uh, plus all the code, plus all the, all, all the other soft costs on it. So um, that's how we structured it. And then um, as far as what the investors get, we are offering a 6% preferred rate of return on that property. Um, and this is not typical. It, it's very investor friendly. Um, after the 6% return, we're at a 90-10 split. Um, lots, lots of reasons for that. But basically, uh, we got pinched by the lender at the very end. Um, interest rates spiked temporarily. There was like a, a four week period where interest rates just, you know, went up dramatically and we ended up closing in that four week period, you know, and then after that four week period, they just started tailing back down. And so, so long story short, um, that one was, you know, 68% loan to value, we raised $2 million, which was, you know, 32% towards the purchase price plus soft cost plus renovations. And then, um, 6% PREF and 90-10 split. And your target market is specifically South Carolina at that time? At the time we were Carolinas. It oh, was, Carolina. was the target market. Yeah. The North, so, South. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, what, what Eric, Eric and I had agreed on, you know, Eric was also interested in Georgia, but at the time I was just Carolinas, but since then we've opened the aperture. Um, so we're, we're also looking in Georgia. We actually have a property under contract right now in Georgia. Um, but right now our target markets, uh, Carolina's in Georgia and, you know, we, we typically, this, this may change in the future, but up to now we've stayed away from the primary markets. You know, we, we've looked at the Charlotte and Atlanta. They're, they're very competitive. Um, but we're, we like the, the smaller cities, you know, uh, so Greenville, South Carolina is one that we really like, you know, the Greenville MSA is, you know, 1.2 million ish, you know, so it's not like a Charlotte, not like an Atlanta or anything like that, but it's still decent size. You know, we've got a property in Columbia, uh, which is the state capital, also about 800,000 people. Um, and then Augusta, Georgia, you know, which is, you know, um, metro area Augusta, about a half a million. So we're, we're in the, the mid-sized cities, you know, decent size areas, but not not your your million plus and, right. and there's a lot of growth in those areas now compared yeah. to 10 years plus ago you know yeah. I, I was able to see greenville uh south my, my husband is from south carolina so you know i was able to see that and and obviously there's a lot of growth and changes that's happened there too yeah. um and of course atlanta you're right it's very hot there right now the market is hot very competitive yeah, my, my virtual background, I don't know if you're going to use the, the, the footage on this. My virtual background is downtown Greenville. And what you'll that notice is wow, it's changed. everything yeah. looks brand new. Those are old buildings, but oh in the God. last 15 years, they've renovated everything. So it, it looks look brand like new. <laughs> yeah. Actually, no, 15 years ago. What am I talking about? Yeah, so I, I would say in the last 20 years, um, 
you know, things have changed in, in Greenville and, you know, Spartanburg is going through the same change right now. Augusta, Georgia is going through the same thing right now. So a lot of these cities that were uh, more industrial in the past are, are now, you know, hotspots for, for renovations, for development. I was going to say, yeah, Spartanburg, because my father-in-law was there. So when I got to see that area, it was like flat, well, a lot of the uh, manufactured homes when I got to see it. So I'm sure it's evolving somehow. I mean, it's yeah. out. You know, downtown Spartanburg is, has turned hip, you know? So when, when you go down there, there's, there's been a lot of infill. There's been a lot of renovations. You know, the business fronts have changed. Um, Spartanburg, Greenville and Spartanburg have always been kind of like sister cities, you know? And uh, it's always been like Spartanburg was the you know, the, the, the younger sibling and was always kind of rough, you know, but uh, um, Spartanburg has changed significantly in the last 15 years. You know, Greenville started changing first, but I think this is indicative of a lot of the cities in the Southeast, you know, Columbia, you can say the same thing about Columbia, you know, the downtown's been revitalized. Um, you know, a lot of the areas there, there's a lot of money going in, especially in the, in the downtown areas that were um, kind of ignored for, for a little while. I mean, and that, that's kind of the trend. I mean, Walmart came in and the downtown areas just almost died off, you know. So um, in the last 10 to 15 years, especially in the Southeast, you've seen a lot of these downtown areas, you know, go through this, this revitalization program where now it's it's cool to go back downtown. You know, there's restaurants, there's there's nightlife, there's there's shop shopping. And it's, um, you know, for, for the last several years, that's where a lot of the money has been going is is these downtown places. A lot of millennials want to live close to where they work. The, the idea of American dream for my daughter's generation, my daughter's 21. I mean, her idea of American dream, the American dream is not, you know, a house with a white picket fence anymore, you know? So um, I think the, the younger generation, you know, the, the millennials, Gen Y, they're looking to live close to where they work. They're looking for the downtown Spartanburg or the downtown Greenville where they can walk out of an apartment or a condo and, walk to work or bike to work or hop on one of those little uber scooters and, and go to work you know so it's a different mindset different mindset different um take on their education mm -hmm. different take on the lifestyle you know a little bit more on the healthier yeah. you know kind of green life zen life um so relatable because you know i have a 21 year old so i can see that they're very yeah. independent they're set on you know, living that simplistic life where they can travel and be free. And I think even talking about, you know, um, Spartanburg and, you know, Charleston and Greenville, I remember seeing that 10, 15 years back and I'm thinking, wow, these are pocket of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think it's still affordable. So as an investor, I think it's really affordable. And I think for someone renting yeah. and even buying a property there, it's, it's very affordable compared to, you know, California, um, you know, e even Texas now is starting to get there because everybody's transitioning. So yeah. I've been, you know, kind of looking at that. I'm going, wow, like, you know, what, what's happening is that we're shifting into this, you know, employment world, right? So everybody's now kind of having no choice to be in business for themselves, work for themselves. Again, creating that job security is no longer sort of the aim, right? It's now like, what can we do so we can feel like we have freedom, the time freedom, What's your take on that, like as far as an investor, uh, as a business owner, and specifically the niche of real estate? Is time freedom really your end goal? And, you know, everything you know now, what would you say to your 2021 20, yeah. year old self? 
You know, um, I had somebody on my podcast uh, just last week, and he he said the advice his dad gave him. I was going to share it. He said, you know, this is dad talking to son. He's like, in your 20s, you're going to chase women. In your 30s, you're going to chase money. Um, in your 40s, you're going to chase the kids out of the house. And in the 50s, you're going to realize and you're going to chase time. You know, you're, you're going to try to make up for lost time. You know, and that, that really, you know, kind of had an impact on me. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, time is really the, the commodity. That's, that's the one thing that you can't buy more of. You know, everybody's allotted a certain amount of time. You know, I mean, it's cliche, you know, everybody has 24 hours in a day or 168 hours in a week. I, I think time is, is, is the new commodity. And I think a lot of people are realizing that. Um, the younger generation, you know, with, with Zoom and, and teleworking being more common, um, not only is time, but freedom to live where you want. I mean, I know people who are living in the Carolinas, you know, with a low cost of living that are teleworking to large firms in New York, earning New York paychecks, you know, and I think that's going to allow people to basically have the time freedom they want, you know, so, um, you know, instead of paying a New York rent, they're, they're paying a, a North Carolina or a South Carolina rent and they have the same job. So, for me, that, that's what it's about. It's I want to eventually free up my time to be able to do what I want, to, to give my time to whatever good cause that I'm, that I'm excited about. You know? So um, yeah, that's, that's the goal. And I think that the way to get there is, is through multiple streams of income. You have to, just like Robert Kiyosaki says, you got to buy assets that produce income. So multifamily right now is, is, you know, my focus, I think it's, I think it's an asset class that is, that can be very lucrative if you do it right. It can pr provide those passive streams of income for years and years to come. And since real estate, you know, naturally appreciates over time, it also, you know, pads your net worth as well. So I, I think, uh, yeah, I think that is the ultimate goal is time freedom more than anything else. You said that perfectly because I think with time, you know, you're busy chasing, you know, those phases in life. Mm -hmm. And so when you reach your fifties, you're like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah. You know, I need to be a little uh, comfortable knowing I can retire. And, and again, the, the, the niche of real estate, I believe business and real estate is a universal doable goal mm -hmm. for, for, you know, the multiple streams of income, making sure that you are investing in assets that work and make sure you educate yourself you know, somehow, right. You're not going in there with cold, you know, just jumping into a cold water and think that it's going to work for you. There are steps. There are certain things that you still have to dedicate yourself to. I mean, what's the reality, you know, do you work like 12 hours a day? You know how the, the whole thing with, with, Oh, you know, I, I want to work less. I think when you love your work or the mm -hmm. job, I think it doesn't feel like work. So, yeah. but what's your reality? Like, do you spend 10 hours, 12 hours? Like, how does that look like for someone that's running a business who's investing in real estate mm -hmm. and then of course still maintaining his current position? <laughs> it's, it's difficult is, is the answer. And um, Sacrifices, it's, right? it's a sacrifice and it's something that my, it, it's a decision my wife and I made jointly. And, you know, two years ago, you know, we had the conversation like, Hey, I want to launch this apartment business. And we, we talked about what it would entail because yeah, I, I still work full-time active duty Marine. 
Uh, fortunately, I'm teleworking, so my schedule is a little bit flexible. Um, I, I go into the office two to three days a week. So there's two to three days a week that, uh, um, for lack of a better term, I'm stuck at the Pentagon. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's a pretty cool thing, by the way. Yeah, it, I mean, working for the Pentagon. It sounds better than it is, you know. Um, <laughs> right. You're like, but, I just sit in the cubicle, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a cubicle, and I have a window on my cubicle, and I look across at another row of windows. You know, it's. Uh, you know, the Pentagon's made out of five rings and there's gaps between the rings. And I have, you know, a window view of the A ring. You know, hey, I'm going to squeeze in so. there. I commend your wife. Yeah. So being supportive of you. So, yeah, I mean, the, the sacrifice that, that she's made for this is she's realized that a lot of my evenings, you know, last night I had, you know, two calls set up, you know, so I get home, you know, I eat dinner and she's been with the kids all day and it's like, hey, honey, I got to make a call. And that, that's one of the sacrifices that, that we agreed on, but it's going to unlock that time freedom later. You know, it's going to be, when I retire from the Marine Corps, I'll be able to work from wherever I want to, you know? So if, if we want to go, you know, see relatives somewhere, or if we want to go, you know, sit on the beach in San Diego or Myrtle Beach or something like that, you know, I can, as long as I have my laptop and, and Wi-Fi, I can take my job with me. So now it's going to give me, you know, freedom of, of location as well. So, you know, it, it's opening up time because, you know, the, the, the multiple streams of income are going to pay for living expenses. Um, but since I can live wherever I want to or travel wherever, wherever I want to, I can work from wherever I want to. So that's, that's what the reality is going to be. You know, right now I just spend an awful lot of time, you know, I, I do as much as I have to at the Pentagon and as much as I can on, on the real estate business. I mean, you know, we, we haven't even, you know, talked about, you know, the tax advantages, which in no particular order with my podcast, you know, I've, I've highlighted some of those, uh, you know, aspects in doing a business and real estate as well. But, you know, there's so many ways to enable that kind of lifestyle, like what you said, Brian, which is being able to choose your location, you know, taking an extra two, three days off, you know, being able to have enough funding, self-funding to, you know, succeed somehow in your, your other endeavors, whether it's real estate or, you know, investing in travel or maybe starting another business on the side with your wife that has nothing to do with real estate. And I think women, when you're married, that is the biggest challenge, the sacrifices, the time that you have to give up. I can relate because I am married, which, you know, you, you and I have chatted about that. And um, it's, 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 you know, being grateful and thankful to our partners because they can understand the unconditional love. They understand that, hey, I may not be available, you know, for the next two days because I have to do this and I have calls and I have to maybe step out. So I think in, in, in a nutshell, those that are, you know, going, oh my gosh, am I ready to, to leap and launch into this? I don't know because I like my weekends. I like, you know, being done by 5 p.m. and not thinking about anything then I would highly recommend maybe really assess that, you know, what's your take on that before they get into this entrepreneurial path? Cause it sounds fancy. Right? I, think it's, I think it's a different level of risk is what it is. I mean, look, look back at the job security conversation we had, you know, what is your risk tolerance? You know, how secure is that job? You know, what is more risky? You're relying on a single income or putting yourself out there and potentially failing to create a business that's going to provide you passive income in the long run. You know, me personally, I think sitting on the couch on the weekends is a more risky position 
because it lacks security. You know, you don't know what's coming around the corner. You don't know if the next, you know, the next um, recession or the next, you know, whatever change in the marketplace is going to upset your income, you know? So look at your own level of risk and just look at your job. Okay. Is your job that risky? Is your job that secure? And I mean, that's, to, to me, it's a, it's a different level of risk. And right now, the level of the, the risk that I'm trying to mitigate is the single income risk um, more than anything else. You know, so I, I want to create multiple streams of income, which is going to open up a whole lot more later on. You know, so, yeah, if you're happy with where you're at right now and, you know, you're, you want to keep continuing life, just realize the risk that that brings with it. Um, and it could be substantial. Well, one of my quotes is the biggest risk is doing nothing at all. Yep. And so I really appreciated that. And, and you coming on sharing, you know, a little bit of yourself and your projects upcoming and, you know, Four Oaks Capital being that it's your, your uh, venture going into this, you know, bigger, massive projects upcoming um, mm -hmm. and, and sharing with us that it's all about looking at risk. And I think you're right. You know, it's, it's a lot riskier when you're, thinking you're off on weekends because as an entrepreneur, there is no day off. However, the power behind that is you can choose when those days off yeah. will be. I mean, my, my Pentagon schedule, I know Monday through Friday, unless it's a federal holiday, you know, 7.30 is showtime and you're there till 16.30, you know, or 4.30 for, you know, um, but yeah, yeah, once, once you, move away from that and you go entrepreneurial. Yeah. It's there. You may work more hours total, but um, if you want to set aside time for a baseball game or a soccer game or whatever, you schedule your calls, you schedule your business around those. You know, if you want to take your kid to school in the morning, you can do that. I can't with my job right now. I can't take my kids to school. I can't pick them up from school, but you know, what, what an entrepreneurial career, what this career will give me was, would be once I retire, I will have that flexibility. You know, if I want to block off, you know, 8.30 to 9 o'clock every day or 8, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock every morning so I can sit and eat breakfast with my kids, I can do that. And that's really the true essence of building wealth. So launching your wealth, building wealth, growing into the time freedom that I'm sure everyone deserves because whether you're married, have a family, or you have other dreams and goals, I really believe that you know, having that time freedom is, should be the end goal. And, um, you know, I appreciate you empowering us with your insight. And uh, I look forward to really tuning in on your podcast, uh, the apartment, sorry, the diary of an apartment investor. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of cool because I like the whole retro look and vibe on that, but it's, it's more importantly, the insight. And mm -hmm. I'm glad you're doing a women series because I, you, I am, I am a, a, a big believer in women's success because I believe we're sort of in this minority stake of a predominantly market. And mm -hmm. so I'm glad that you're, you're working with that and, you know, congratulations on all your, your achievements and moving forward. And I'm glad that you, you know, you decided to come on and share this with me uh, here at Launcher Wealth. So, you know, any last words that you think, you know, entrepreneurs, real estate investors, should clue in as we go into 2021? You know, um, I'll just say go for it is the answer. You know, if, if you think you want to go for it. Um, and like, like I said earlier, one of the things that kept me back was the fear of failure. 
but uh, you know, don't worry about it. You know, uh, I mean, look at look at people like Thomas Edison who failed a thousand times before he had a successful light bulb. You know, um, and he doesn't look at it as a thousand failures. He looked at it as a thousand ways not to do it. You know, a thousand learning opportunities. So don't be afraid of failing, uh, and just go for it. That's amazing. I do. I I, I did see him. Uh... I think there was a quote that talked about that a thousand ways to learn yep. not to do it. Love it. Love it. Thank yep. you so much, Brian, for joining me. Thanks, Joan. I appreciate your time. And there you have it. What a great conversation. Brian Briscoe and his take on entrepreneurship, entering the multifamily real estate business, family life. And of course, you can find his engagement on LinkedIn. One of my favorite posts was with his son, Dallin, eight years old, that shows how important it is to open this educational experience for our kids as well. At Launch Your Wealth, you can find us on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can join us at our Inner Circle virtual events to engage, connect, and open Business Growth 2021. I look forward to having you on our next episode.